Let's go to Yahweh in prayer. Father, we come before you. We thank you for the blessings of this day. We thank you for the for bringing so many to uh, back to health with this uh, COVID, this pandemic. We pray that you would continue to be with those who are still suffering from fatigue or congestion or cough or, or whatever it is or something more serious. We pray that you would restore them to health, that, that they would be here again, that they would worship you amongst us. Father, we also pray that you would continue to be with Sister Tiffany, that you would help her, restore her as you were doing, that we would see more encouraging news from her and that she would be out of the hospital very soon, home resting with uh, Jordan, and, and uh, that she would uh, be able to praise you at home and, and in full health. And we also ask that you would be again with uh, Brother Javon and, and his family with the passing of Sister Michelle. You know that Sister Michelle was a very dear sister in the faith, and she was very devoted. So we pray that someday we would see her again when your son returns to gather the saints, to gather those who have passed and also those who are yet alive. Father, we pray that your blessings would be upon this ministry, that we would always strive to do your will, that we would strive to always be a blessing to those here and a blessing to others. And Father, we pray that you would always protect us from disease or sickness as you've done so far and thus far. And we have faith and hope in you, that you will see us through, and you have. And we certainly appreciate that, Father, and we pray that your blessings and your provision and your healing would continue to be upon this ministry and upon those here and upon those abroad. And we ask all this in Yahshua's beloved name. Hallelujah. Y'all may be seated. So today I want to speak about the uh, pagan roots of Halloween. I thought it would be appropriate. We're just about a week away, or we are a week away, from this uh, celebration, if you will. Now, I consider this one of the most pagan really the most pagan and horrific, satanic, if you will, even, of all the days we find on the calendar. Now, many people, including those who believe in the Bible, will say that there's nothing wrong with this day. They will say it's a day of fun, it's a day for the family. But the problem is, like so many other things in the world, people never stop and ask, where did this day come from and should I be doing it? Should I be observing it? You know, what does the word say? Well, now, before we open up to the word, I'd like to share with you some, some history behind this day. You know, I've always uh, been intrigued with, with history, especially church history, if you will, and there's so many people that don't realize they don't hide these things. And that's just an amazing thing. When you delve in, you're going to find that, that they don't hide things like the history of, of Halloween or Christmas or Easter, and we're going to see that as we go through this message. So I want to Read an excerpt to begin with from the New World Encyclopedia. And it says, Halloween has origins in the ancient Celtic festival known as Samhain. The festival of Samhain is a celebration of the end of the harvest season in Gaelic culture and is sometimes regarded as the Celtic New Year. The Celts believe that on October 31st, now known as Halloween, the boundary between the living and the dead dissolved and the deceased became dangerous for the living causing problems such as sickness or damaged crops. Festivals frequently involved bonfires into which the bones of the slaughtered livestock were thrown. Costumes and masks were also worn at the festivals in an attempt to copy the evil spirits or placate them. So we see from this reference 
the day known as Halloween came from a pagan observance called Sawin. Sawin. So we see here that it traces back to the Celtic festival, again observed on October 31st, and that's never changed. That date is still observed today. Now for the Celts, what was so special about this day? You know, what was, what was the reason why they observed this time? Where they believed that on October 31st, the boundary, if you will, between the living and the dead was dissolved. And that as a result, the deceased or the dead could, could come and walk among the living. And they would do harm, they believed. So, how did they get around this threat? How did they get around this threat? We find here that they would disguise themselves. They would, they would wear costumes representing the deceased, the dead. And by doing so, they believed that they would be exempt, that the deceased or these evil spirits would not harm those during that time. Now, before I talk about how the church adopted Samhain and morphed it into Halloween, and that's exactly what happened, I want to consider the history of some of the more common traditions. You know, where did they come from? What do they represent? You know, it's so important that we realize and understand some of these traditions. So I'm going to read this. Most of this is from Halloween.com, pretty reliable source for uh, information involving Halloween and where these traditions arose from. So the first one here is the jack-o'-lanterns, and we see this quite a bit, very frequent. This is a very big part of Halloween. So here's what it says. It says, this has become one of the most popular Halloween symbols as well as rituals and traditions. The jack-o'-lantern has become a great representation of Halloween since families often come together to choose their pumpkins as well as prepare them for the final look. So this is a big deal, and we see this in the Halloween celebration today. It's very common. It says, yet if you know the supposed Irish folklore origin of this carved pumpkin, it basically has to do with a stingy man named Jack who tricked the devil not once but twice in order to prevent the devil from taking his soul. After Jack's death, heaven refused him and hell couldn't take him because of the agreement, the agreement with the devil, the devil sent Jack on his way back to where he came from with only an ever-burning ember from the flames of hell to light his way. Needing something to carry this hot coal in, Jack found a turnip and carved himself a lantern. Irish immigrants quickly discovered pumpkins and thought that would make a much better candle holder to carry on their tradition than a turnip. So the original jack-o'-lantern was not a pumpkin as we most often see today. It was a turnip. And then, as we see here, they began using pumpkins. But again, very pagan past, very pagan tradition. Another one is a trick-or-treating. It is believed that the Irish began the tradition of trick-or-treating in preparing for All Hallows' Eve. Irish townsfolk would visit neighbors and ask for contributions of food for a feast in the town. Now, some say it even goes back further into Rome and other places, but we find here where the modern tradition may have arose. Witches, this is another big part of Halloween. You know, it's amazing because it just glorifies 
witches and sorcery and divination. And yet, for some reason, the church, they see nothing wrong with this. Or here's what it says, witches. These familiar Halloween symbols pop up everywhere for the season, from decorations to greeting cards to Halloween costume parties, and for good reason. Witches have been around for eons, and we are often thought to have mystical powers partly because of their connection to Satan or the spirit world. Notice that. So the connection here with witches and Halloween is this close connection between witches and Satan. Isn't that astounding? It says our most notorious gatherings were thought to happen during two major season changes on April 30th, and of course, when? October 31st. You know, this is a very important day for Satanists. This is a very important day for those who practice divination, October 31st, and yet the church has adopted this day in honor of saints. Well, we're going to talk about that as we go through this message. Or bats is another common symbol we see. It says, well, actually not vicious, Every so often where I'm at, I'll see bats flying around. They're not real vicious. This is evil or terrifying at all. Bats have become a familiar symbol tied to Halloween. Much of this is to blame on vampire bats who do suck blood, but just enough to survive without usually killing other animal, another animal. Bats have also been linked to witches, either flying about from their caves while witches perform their ritualistic ceremonies or for actually becoming part of the witches' brew. So, Again, multiple ways we find here bats are connected with Halloween. But again, it's all with witches, satanic worship, divination, ghosts. So death in the Celts. Yes, amazing. The tradition really goes back to, again, as we've already read, to the Samhain, the celebration of the Celts. It says it would be impossible to list each one of the many Halloween symbols as well as their meaning. Consider that many things that can be a representation of the old Celtic festival festivity known as Samhain, the original Halloween, where death conjures up holiday themes. Halloween costumes, for example, have been used since first Samhain's, though the original disguises were animal skins. So we see here many of the traditions, many of the traditions that we see that is so common still within Halloween Sawin, the original day, again borrowed from the Celts. And we see these practices still living within this time known as Halloween. Now, how did Sawin or Sawin morph into Halloween? How did one become the other? Well, like so many other things, it eventually was adopted and changed by the Roman church. It's amazing, by the way, how many things the Roman church would pick up, they would relabel, they would repackage, they would sanitize the day, supposedly anyway, and, and they would adopt it as their own. So here's what we find from the Encyclopedia of Religion. It says, the British church attempted to divert the interest in pagan customs by adding a Christian celebration to the calendar on the same date as he saw when. The Christian festival, the Feast of All Saints, can remember you see known and unknown saints of the Christian religion, just as he saw when had acknowledged and paid tribute to the Celtic deities. So this is how the church adopted this time. They simply took the day, they relabeled it, 
and they re they rededicated this as we see here to the to the saints. You know, show me though in scripture just real quickly, show me in scripture where it speaks about worshiping saints or acknowledging the deaths of the saints or the lives of the saints that we should go back and remember these things. The Bible doesn't say this, but again they were trying to make this connection. And as the Celts would remember their deities or the Roman church would then remember their own deities, these saints. And it really are deities when you think about it, what the Roman church does today with the veneration of saints. It's nothing more than idol worship. Nothing more than idol worship. I want to share one more source here. This is from the History Channel, history.com. And it says there, the tradition originated with the ancient Celtic festival of Samhain, when people would light bonfires and wear costumes to ward off ghosts or deceased. In the 8th century, Pope Gregory III designated November 1st as a time to honor all saints. Soon, All Saints Day incorporated some of the traditions of Samhain. The evening before was known as All Hallows' Eve, later Halloween. Over time, Halloween evolved into a day of activities like trick-or-treating, carving jack-o'-lanterns, festive gatherings, costumes, and eating treats. So, how... Did Samhain morph into Halloween? Where number one, the church renamed this day to All Saints Day. Number two, they changed the focus from the deceased of the Celts, from the dead to the deceased of the saints of the church. Like so many other examples, the Roman church adopted and repackaged this day to resemble something sacred, something holy, something that is good where there is nothing good or sacred or holy about this day. You know, for those who may not know, there's a name for this. And the name is syncretism. Syncretism, and it's an important word, something we should all understand. The Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines this as, quote, the combination of different forms of belief or practice. You know, this, that the Roman church, they did the same thing with Easter and, and Christmas. In fact, Easter, if we know, if we understand this it goes all the way back to the old testament you know the the old testament speaks about the queen of heaven and how judah would worship this queen of heaven jeremiah in two passages condemns judah for this worship condemns judah for this worship the queen of heaven is the same as astarte again that is where we receive easter astarte the queen of heaven it's all the same thing you know what's amazing the more things change the more they stay the same You see, instead of standing on truth, instead of saying, no, we're not going to compromise, we're not going to allow this influence within the assembly, they wanted numbers and they wanted growth. They wanted to compromise, and they did so by, again, repackaging, relabeling, rededicating. You know, this is also true for Christmas. I know we're not talking about Christmas. I want to read a real quick quote because it is very indicative as to what we see with Halloween so this is from the New International Dictionary of the Christian Church, page 223. And it says, December 25th was the date of the Roman pagan festival inaugurated in 274 as a birthday of the unconquered sun. In Latin, as Sol Invictus, it was a deity that they worshipped, which at the winter solstice begins again to show an increase in light sometime Before 336, a church in Rome, unable to stamp out this pagan festival, spiritualized it 
How do you spiritualize something, by the way? How does that work? Where it says here they spiritualized it as a feast of the nativity of the S-U-N of righteousness. So why did the church adopt Christmas? Or they did this because they could not stamp this influence out. And the same thing's true for Halloween, for Samhain. They could not stop the influence, so they simply adopt the day. You know what's sad is that we continue to see this type of compromise in the church now. You know, how many churches are compromising the word today? You know, it's amazing, even the churches 30, 40, 50 years ago, the, the Roman church recently came out, Pope came out in, in support of gay civil unions. I don't know if you saw that on the news. A degradation, an abomination. You know, Yahweh says that he loathes homosexuality, loathes sodomy. It's an abomination, and yet the Pope is now saying that this is okay. Endorsing and promoting this behavior. Where again, just as time goes by, we continue to see compromise within the church. And it's becoming very, very bad. And again, the reason is, I believe always, numbers and growth, they want to fit in. And that's something that's a really great lesson for us, by the way, that we should never fit in. We should never change to be more like the world. We need to stay true to Yahweh's word, never compromising what we know to be right. And, you know, I believe that's one reason, just as a side note, why this ministry has been blessed as we have been. We try very hard to stay with Scripture. We try very hard not to compromise. And I believe that we've been blessed because of that. Because we don't compromise. We try to hold to the standard, whether that is marriage or whatever it is, that we hold to that holy standard, that sacred standard that we find within the word. So what does the word say about adopting these practices? We know probably the most important passage, the best example, I believe, is Jeremiah 10 verse 2. Jeremiah 10, verse 2, it says, Thus saith Yahweh, learn not the way of the heathen. You know, what do you suppose Jeremiah meant here when he said, learn not the way of the heathen? What do you suppose his message was? Or how does the Bible define a heathen? Well, the word heathen is from the Hebrew goi. And it refers to a foreign nation, specifically to an unbelieving one here, to an unbelieving nation. So Yahweh says here that we should not learn the ways of an unbelieving nation. Yahweh says here that we should not learn the traditions, the practices, the beliefs, how they worship. We should not mimic them. We should not adopt them. We should not do as they do. You know, based on this, should Bible believers learn and follow the traditions from other nations? Or the answer is obviously no. It is no. You know, this one warning in Jeremiah should be enough for us to remove any and all worship that deviates from, from the Bible, from Scripture. You know what's sad, though, is that so many of today's worshipers, they base more truth, if you will, on tradition than the Bible. They base more truth on tradition. You know, no no different from Israel of old, and we know that Israel, one of the mistakes they made many, many times is they would adopt pagan practices from their neighbors. We find the same thing in the Roman church and Christianity today. You know, some people, just as a side note, they'll say uh, those who believe that the uh, folks in Israel are not the Jews today, they'll say things like, well, look at 
all the, all the awful things that Jews do today. And, and they do do some awful things. They have gay parades and whatnot. And, you know, I often remind people, when in the history of Israel did they ever do what was right for any length of time? You know, think about it. Israel doesn't, they don't have a great track record. A pretty good record under Moses. Good record under Joshua. But after them, things went downhill. And, and uh, sometimes they recovered with a good king in the case of Judah. But many times that was not the case. And that's something we need to really understand. So we find here a warning of not to learn the ways of the heathen. Now, even though as believers were to avoid all of these days, there seems to be one more egregious than all others, and that is, again, this Samhain, this Halloween. This day is literally rooted in demonic activity. We don't see that with the other days. I mean, for instance, with, with um, Christmas, it goes back to Saturnalia or, or Mithraism or Sol Invictus. It's all the same thing, really. It's worship of the sun. Well, it's not good. I mean, obviously, we would never want to worship, but this day is satanic. They, this day goes back to Satan and, and divination and witchcraft and the deceased. In my mind, this is the worst of all the days. Now, again, I know that some people see this day as harmless, but this doesn't change his past. You know, Yahweh says in Malachi that he doesn't change. The same standards, the same worship that we find in the old, we also find in the new and and uh, we must continue to, to um, follow as believers. Now, Jeremiah wasn't the only one to raise a red flag with this worship. We find many other examples within the Torah. I want to read and share a few with you today. So the next example I want to share is Leviticus 20, verse 23. It says, You shall not walk in the manners of the nations, which I cast out before you, for they committed all these things. Notice that. Notice the emphasis, how emphatic Yahweh is here. And therefore, he's, what does he say? Therefore, I love them. No, he doesn't say that. Therefore, he says, I abhorred them. I abhorred them. You know, so as we saw here in Jeremiah, we see here that we're not to follow in the manners of the nations. The word manners is from the Hebrew kokah, refers to any pagan belief, a pagan belief outside of the word. Now, notice what he says here at the very end. How does he respond to those who pursue these evil things? Where he says here that he abhorred them. He abhorred them. Now, the word abhorred means to be grieved or to loathe. So this is how Yahweh feels about days such as Halloween. You know, I believe that we would all agree that the last thing we want to do is to do something that Yahweh abhors that Yahweh finds a loathsome, that Yahweh finds as an abomination. And yet knowing this, so many believers, Bible believers with the nominal worship justify this day. This is why it's important that we as believers, we understand these things, that we understand the, the, the truth, what the, what the Bible says, and also what history shows. Now we see another warning, Deuteronomy 12, verse 30 through 31. It says, take heed to thyself that you be not sneered, by following them. After that, they be destroyed from before thee. And that thou inquire not after their mighty ones, saying, How did these nations serve their mighty ones? Even as so will I do likewise. 
Thou shalt not do so unto Yahweh thy Elohim, for every abomination to Yahweh, which he hates, have they done unto their mighty ones. For even their sons and their daughters they have burnt in the fire to their mighty ones. You know, it's amazing to me how many believers can ignore such warnings and follow these demonic days of worship. I realize that many people simply don't know the truth, but on the flip side, there's many people who do know the truth, and they simply ignore the truth, or somehow somehow justify what they're doing. You know, if we want to please the one we worship, then we must worship him as he commands. And this is such an easy and core concept to find within Scripture, that if we want to please Almighty Yahweh, that we worship him as he commands within his word. Yahweh says here that we're not to learn the ways of the nations. He goes on to say here that these pagan ways are an abomination to him. This word abomination is used for the absolute worst. I don't believe that you can find a more emphatic word, a word that conveys more, more hatred, more worrisome than what we find through this word abomination. Now, notice the last thing we find here. It says that they sacrifice their sons and daughters through fire to these false deities. You know, this is likely a reference to Moloch, worshipers of this deity, would burn, would burn their sons and daughters in fire. They would place their son or their daughter on the arms of this deity, where we then slide down into the fires of Moloch. Israel did this. Israel did this as well. They would learn this, and they did this. You know, we find this similar practice through the pagan roots of Halloween. I don't know if you know this or not, but very similar practice. You know, just like the worshipers of Moloch, the ancient Druids would also sacrifice through bonfires. They would burn victims alive. For example, we find this admission from the Encyclopedia Britannica. And again, this is a Britannica. It's not just a, this website. No, this is a Britannica. And as the Druids offered human sacrifices for those who were gravely sick, were in danger of death and battle. Huge wickerwork images were filled with living men and then burned. Can you imagine taking human beings, binding them into this cage, and then lighting the cage on fire? So as all of the Druids preferred to sacrifice criminals, they would choose innocent victims if necessary. So again, no different from the worshippers of Moloch. We find here that the worshippers of Sawin the original day from where we receive Halloween is also rooted in human sacrifice, burning people alive. You know, knowing this, how is it possible to justify the keeping of such a day, the keeping of Halloween, of Sawin? We can say that we no longer sacrifice on this day, but again, this doesn't change the past. It also doesn't change what Yahweh says within the word he says, don't learn the ways of the heathen. Don't do after their ways. Don't worship. Don't learn how they worship their deities. You know, this is really the essence, I believe, of what it is to be a believer today. 
It really is, if you think about it. What it means to be a believer is to come out of this system, to worship Yahweh as he defines it within his word, not to mimic, not to adopt, not to compromise, not to change, not to fiddle, but to follow Yahweh as he commands within his word. And this includes not only doing and abstaining from days like Christmas, but also, again, doing everything we find within the word, sanctifying the Sabbath, honoring him through the feast days, Everything we find within the word, we should be doing as believers. We should never go halfway. You know, if we go only halfway, we know that we're not going to be blessed. It always reminds me of the, um, the assembly of Laodicea. You know, we know that Yahshua condemned this assembly. He said, said that they were lukewarm. But he says, look, either be hot or cold, but, but if you maintain this, this middle-of-the-road approach, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spew you out of my mouth. There is no middle-of-the-road. There is no lukewarm. As believers, again, we must go all the way with his truth. I want to look at another passage here, Leviticus 19, 26 and 31. It says, you shall not eat anything with a blood, neither shall you use enchantments nor observe times regard not them that have familiar spirits neither seek after wizards to be defiled by them i am yahweh your elohim so this passage has nothing says here to do have nothing to do with a sorcery or demonic activity you know speaking about eating blood divination observing times magic familiar spirits ghosts wizards do we see any familiar images with this and Halloween, saw when? Do we see things in common? Or we see many things in common here. Today's costumes are more gruesome than ever before, with blood being the main focal point. We also see many examples of divination, ghosts, goblins, anything that would resemble the evilness in a satanic worship. You know, it's amazing what Yahweh commands us not to do, we do. We do, and I mean, it's just astounding how we see so many of these traditions within nominal worship. And some people, they come, in, they come out and they're just astounded. It's there. All we need to do is simply look to prove and then to remove ourselves from it. We see one more example, Deuteronomy 18, verse 9. It says, When thou art come into the land which thy Elohim gives thee, you shall not learn to do after the abominations of those nations. You know, how much clearer could Yahweh be? What more could he possibly say in his word to convey this thought that we're not to follow in these traditions, especially traditions based on satanic worship? He says, don't learn, don't do says, there shall not be found among you any one that makes his son or daughter to pass through the fire, or that uses divination, or observer of times, or enchanter, or a witch, or a charmer, or consulter with familiar spirits, or a wizard, or nomomancer. For all that do these things are an abomination unto Yahweh. And because of these abominations, Yahweh, the Elohim, doth drive them out from before thee, Thou shalt be perfect with Yahweh the Elohim. 
for these nations which thou shalt possess, hearkened unto observers of times and unto diviners. But as for thee, Yahweh the Elohim hath not suffered you so to do. How many times does Yahweh have to say within the word not to follow the ways of the nations, not to learn the ways, the traditions of these, these others, the goey, as we find within the word, not to do and not to pursue witchcraft and divination. You, we, we find warning after warning in both the Old, and we're going to see some examples here in just a moment in the New Testament, to stay away from these things. And yet again, most believers simply ignore them. In fact, now the church will bring those Practices within the church. Don't go out. Come in the church. And we're going to dress up in ghosts and goblins and all kinds of horrible things. It is an abomination that we find. Now, Yahweh says here, and I want to really emphasize this for just a moment. Yahweh says here that we must be perfect. He was speaking to Israel, but he's speaking also to us. And he says that we must be perfect. The word perfect here comes from the Hebrew tamim. And it means to be without blemish, complete, without spot, undefiled, upright, moral. That's the definition we find within Strong's Tamim. Now I realize that nobody is perfect in the literal sense. But as believers, we're to strive for perfection. We're to strive, as it says here, to be pure, to be undefiled, to be upright, to be moral, to be without blemish. These are the attributes we should all be striving to achieve. Striving to be better than who we are today. Striving to to walk in a way that is pleasing to the one we worship. Striving to to walk according to the examples of our Savior, Yahshua the Messiah. So again, we find here a very important message. Not only are we to abstain from these demonic practices, but Yahweh gave a very important message here, and that is that we are to be perfect. And again, that is without spot, that is without wrinkle, that is without blemish, that we are to strive to be morally upright in all ways. And this was, again, not only a message to Israel of old, this is a message to you and I, that we should and must strive for this perfection. I want to turn now to Galatians 4, starting at verse 8. I believe we find here a connection, if you believe it or not, with Halloween, possibly. So Galatians 4, 8 through 11, it says, How be it then, when you knew not Yahweh, you did service unto them, which by nature are no mighty ones. But now, he says, after that you have known Elohim, or rather known of Elohim. And that's kind of an important, important thing to notice there. Yahweh calls us, we don't call Yahweh. You see, Yahweh knew us before we knew him. How turn you again to the weak and beggarly elements whereunto you desire again to be in bondage? You observe days and months and times and years. I am afraid of you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. Now, what is Paul referring to, to here when he says you observe days, months, times, and years? Most ministers will say that this is referring to Jewish days of worship or to the Old Testament days of worship. But there's an issue with this theology, and that is it doesn't fit the context. And it doesn't really fit the history of who the people of Galatians were. You know, from verse 8, we find that prior to the Galatians coming to the truth, that they worshipped false mighty ones. It says there, 
by which, which by nature are no mighty ones. Well, this possibly could not be referring to Yahweh the Old Testament, right? Or Yahweh is a mighty one. Paul certainly acknowledged. He understood that. So this is not referring to the Old Testament days of worship. This is not referring to anything of Yahweh because, again, in verse 8 it says, which by nature are no mighty ones. It is so important that we understand the context of these passages. So what then is he referring to? to? Well, the answer to this really requires that we understand the history, some of the history. You know, according to the Cyclopedia Biblical, Theological, and Ecclesiastical Literature, the uh, people of Galatia were a mixture of Gauls, Celts, and also Greeks. The the Gauls were immigrants from northern Europe. And again, that's from the Encyclopedia, Encyclopedia Biblical, Theological, and Ecclesiastical Literature. So we find historically that the Galatians are partially Gauls or ancient Celts. So more than likely, Paul's referring here to pagan worship of the ancient Celts. You see, they were returning back to this worship. And that's why Paul says here that his labors were in vain. You see, they were coming out of this false worship, these these. Mighty ones which were no mighty ones. These deities that were not real, as we see in verse 8. You know what's amazing, though, is nothing's really changed. We see this same trend in nominal worship today, this continuous decline of truth and acceptance of paganism. You know, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 20, Paul says unequivocally there that we must make a difference. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 20. He says, but I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, he sacrificed to devils, not to Elohim. And I would not that you should have fellowship with devils. Now, this is a real simple concept. As believers, we cannot worship Yahweh and the worship of devils. We must choose which one we're going to worship. You know, this is at the crux of these issues. You know, whether it's Halloween, whether it's Christmas, whether it's Easter, whether it's Lent, whether it's Sunday worship, whether it's the adoption of so many of the theological views of the church, who and what are we going to worship? Are we going to worship Yahweh? Are we going to put him first? Or are we going to worship Satan? Are we going to worship the devil? Are we going to worship these satanic days? And that's really what they are. And I know, I certainly, I want to clarify something saying that. I am not calling Christians satanic. I want to be clear. But what we find in Halloween derives from satanic days of worship. Many, many believers try to live for Yahweh and also follow the traditions of the world. And we can't do this. You know, it reminds me of what Yahshua said about, about worshiping Yahweh and worshiping manna. He said you can't do it. You have to choose. And that's the same thing here. We have to choose. We have to choose how far we're willing to go with, for the one we worship. We have to choose whether we're going to follow him, whether we're going to make him the center of our devotion, or whether we're going to accept this false worship. 
as we see with Halloween and Xmas and so many of these other days of worship. You know, whether people realize it or not, so much, again, of what is taught in Christianity was adopted from paganism. And my message is very simple, and that is that we must make a separation in our worship. And believe me when I say, when we do so, we will be blessed. And it's not always easy. It's not always easy. Many are concerned how families are going to respond. And believe me when I say, some have a reason to be concerned. But that doesn't make it any less important, doesn't make it any less vital. It doesn't matter what the consequences are. And that's the other truth I really want to impress upon you today. It doesn't matter what the consequences are. It doesn't matter what we go through. It doesn't matter the challenges we're going to face. Yahweh comes first. His word comes first. Whether we're speaking about Halloween, whether we're speaking about Christmas, whether we're speaking about Easter, whether we're speaking about Sunday, whether we're speaking about whatever it is, Yahweh comes first. His worship comes first. We must make him the focus and the reason we're here. Many are concerned about the world. Many are concerned about not offending others. Many are concerned about ensuring that there's harmony in the family. We all want those things. But Yahweh comes first. You know, that's always been the model here at this ministry. People ask, you know, how we make decisions and at least for me, and I know for Elder Allen, it's the same. The first thing you need to ask is, what does Yahweh say? What does his word say? It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter how hard the situation is. It doesn't matter the fallout. I've seen so much compromise over the years, even amongst the different assemblies, because they simply refuse to stand on truth, all truth, And I'm not saying we have everything figured out. I don't think we do. I don't think we have all truth. But we strive very hard to understand the word, and we strive very hard to to not compromise and to follow the word as we find it. I want to share one more passage, 2 Corinthians 6, starting in verse 14. It says, There be you not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Messiah with Belial? Or what part hath he with he that believes with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of Yahweh with idols? For you are the temple of the living Elohim, as Elohim hath said, I will dwell in them and I will walk in them. And I will be their Elohim and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them and be you separate. Such a key phrase there, come out from among them and be you separate. That is, maybe that should be the saying of every believer, come out from among them and be you separate. To to show a distinction, to show a difference. Saith Yahweh, and touch not the unclean thing, for I will receive you, and I will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says Yahweh Almighty. You know, I believe that this is one of the most powerful passages by the Apostle Paul. He shows that as, as believers, we must make a distinction, we must make a separation, we must make a difference. And again, I would extend this beyond Halloween. This would include any and all things we find within the word. We must make a separation, a division, a, a, a difference in how we worship and what we do and how we respond and how we behave. You know, he illustrates this by showing several contrasts, including what he says here, what concord has Messiah with Belial, 
Belial, I believe, and understand this is a euphemism for Satan the devil. So Paul is asking, what does Messiah have in common with Satan? Well, what's the answer? What does Messiah have in common with Satan? Or the answer is nothing. The answer is nothing. Yahshua represents all that which is good, and Satan represents all that which is bad. You know, it works the same way when Halloween. Halloween is demonic and evil. It is an abomination that Yahweh abhors. You know, as believers in the Messiah, we should have nothing to do with days like this or any other worship that would defile his word or compromise his truth. Now, notice what he says here at the very end. These are words of encouragement. Really, this is why we're doing what we're doing. This is why we're here today. This is why we've chosen the path we're on now. We see here that those who remain true to him, it says that he's in a, they're going to be found worthy to be his sons and daughters. You know, what's greater than becoming a son or daughter of Almighty Yahweh? Everything we do in this life, every thought we think, every action we take, should be driven and motivated by this by this goal, by this concept to be a son or daughter of the Most High. Where the answer is obviously nothing, there's nothing greater. There is no promise greater than being adopted into Yahweh's family and spending literally forever with him. You know, such a hard concept to understand forever, eternity. You know, we're bound by time. Everything we know is based on time. But if we're found worthy of this promise to be a son or daughter of the Almighty, time will have no meaning. We will live forever with him. What an amazing promise. You know, this is something we can all achieve. All we must do is to follow him, obey him, remove all the defense, show a difference. This may not always be easy, but believe me when I say it's well worth it. So that's the message I leave you today. And, and um, I would encourage us always to Make Yahweh the, the focal point, the center of our lives, and, and always pursue him. Now, we're also very blessed today. We have a uh, baptism here, even though we have <laughs> just a few here. And, uh, but we have a baptism, and a very, very special. Uh, Jill Matheson, uh, she drove about 12 hours to uh, be here and with Sister Norma to be here for baptism into Yahshua's name. Now, before I call her forward, I want to just review a few scriptures here. Acts 2, verse 38 says, And Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Yahshua Messiah, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is really the um, foundational passage, I believe, for baptism. And we find a few things about baptism here. Number one, I'm not going to read the, I didn't read the uh, entire passage, but the people had just realized what they had done. They were guilty of putting to death the son of Yahweh. And they came to Peter and they said, what do we do? How do we make amends for our offense, for what we've done? And Peter says this here. So we see here that baptism first represents repentance. And, you know, this is a great reminder for those of us immersed. I tell everybody, those I counsel for baptism, 
I always try to make it, to point, make it a point to say that repentance is not just a verbal confession. Repentance is thinking differently, acting differently. It's a new way of life. It's a 180 of who we are now. Putting Yahweh first, having a resolute mind always focus and follow him always. And then we find that through baptism, baptism, baptizo, referring to immersion, that's why we immerse, we find that it's in the name of Yahshua the Messiah, and we find that when we, when we go through the immersion, that we find forgiveness or remission from sins. And then with that, we also find that we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit through the laying on of hands. Now, one of my favorite passages is Romans 6. I normally call this the baptismal chapter. Many people do. And there it says, Know you not that so many of us, as were baptized into Messiah, were baptized into his death. So we find here that baptism has a very important symbolic meaning. And that is it represents the death of Yahshua the Messiah. And when we're immersed, we partake in this, this death of our Savior. This is therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Messiah was raised from the dead, by the glory of the Father even so should we walk in newness of life. Newness of life. In the Greek, this basically means that we're to walk in a new way. A new way based on Yahweh's word, based on his values, based on his truth, based on his ethics, based on his word. We're not to live as we did before. Those things that we did that might have been offensive to Yahweh, whether it was Halloween or whatever it was, were to remove and were to live differently. Now it says here, for if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also in the likeness of his resurrection. And this is one reason why I believe that baptism is so important. Not only is it, does it symbolize a death to our old man, not only do we find the forgiveness of sins, not only do we find the gift of the Holy Spirit, we see here that those immersed, those who die to Messiah through immersion or baptism, that they will also be resurrected within his likeness. That's a such, such an important message. And, you know, I don't hear this from a lot of ministers. They, they just kind of gloss over this point. And for me, this is always such an important point to emphasize because when we're immersed, we again, we receive that Holy Spirit, we find that remission of sins, and then we find the hope and the promise of the resurrection to come. Just as Yahshua was resurrected, we're going to share in that same resurrection. I believe that just as Yahshua was resurrected, we will be resurrected in the same form and the same type of spiritual body we're going to receive after when Yahshua returns to gather the saints.